Well, I'm delighted to be with you this morning. We have a lot of people that are out. There's a lot of illness, different types of illnesses going around right now. And, and just want to encourage you to stay safe, you know, to be wise. We do welcome those who are joining us online. We're grateful to have you and have that opportunity to do church with you through that um, uh, facet of and that manner and that avenue of of uh, communication there. Uh, we also, Pastor Whalen is preaching in Pelham, Tennessee, and, and uh, Nathan is down in Gadsden, uh, Alabama, and uh, Gretchen's already uh, moved on. She's down in Florida. She's actually going to church, her and the girls, with uh, uh, some uh, one of the speakers from our conference uh, coming up in Revision in uh, October. want to encourage you to make plans to be a part of Revision. You do not want to miss that. Uh, if you miss it, you're going to be playing catch-up for the next few months, trying to go, well, why are they saying that? And why is it? It's just one of those times where God speaks to us as a church, as a people, and as a region. We have some, uh, uh, some uh, gifted voices coming in. If you just hear things from our perspective, we're, we're, we're limited of the understanding of God. So I want to encourage you to come out and be a part of that. Well, this weekend was an incredible weekend here at the church. Actually, Friday, I performed a, a funeral in Huntsville, and it was a beautiful funeral. Funeral. Uh, it was uh, somebody who had uh, lived a good full life into his 80s and loved the Lord. And not only that, uh, he and his wife were married for 61 years. I'm not done. 61 years, 10 months, and 12 days. I mean, who was counting? You know what I mean? Who was counting? And Miss Barbara told me, Gretchen and I have known them well over 20-some years. She told me, she said, and his parents gave us six weeks. When they got married, they said, y'all won't last six weeks. 61 years, 10 months and 12. You know, even when you don't see it, he's working. What you commit to him, he will be faithful what you entrust to him to perform it and to carry it out. Amen? God is good. God is good. Well, listen, we also, so we went from a funeral straight to a wedding, and at that wedding, it was uh, John and Georgia. It was uh, John Baker and Georgia Peterson. Of course, most of you know them from here in the church, and it was a beautiful wedding, absolutely beautiful wedding, and had numerous people say to me, said, you know, it was just, I felt something. There was just something different. There was something going on, and it's really simple. It's really simple. Uh, John and Georgia love God. John and Georgia love others, and God loves those who loves him, and God loves those who do things the way he does things, and then when you see this beautiful picture of restoration coming together and unified there, and then you see that when you love others and you love God, you're just doing the gospel, and they're living the gospel, not, not out on the mission field or in the pulpit at a church that has its place. That's just part of our responsibilities, but they're living the life. You're living the life. What happens is others start to love you and have a great respect for you. So what was taking place there was just a whole bunch of love, and that's what's supposed to happen. And the cool thing about love, love never fails, never fails. And so at that funeral, it was a beautiful thing to see somebody who loved God and other people who loved him and cared about him, but then to go into a wedding and to see it also. And at that wedding, there's a passage of scripture that they use in their, in their unity ceremony that they took part in together of putting oil into one vessel, putting oil into a vessel out of Matthew 25. It's one of my, probably one of my most favorite passages of scripture. And I waited out and waited out, and I felt like the Lord said, I want you to share some things from that passage this morning in relationship to that wedding and what took place there. 
I've done this once before. I remember I'd done another wedding, and, and when I did that wedding, that, that passage of Scripture was used in there, and the Lord said, speak on that. Why? Because that's what you and I are preparing for. You and I are preparing as a church and as individuals to be married to Jesus Christ, to be wedded. There's the wedding supper of the Lamb. We're preparing the church itself to be uh, united as the bride of Christ with Christ. That is what is happening. Now, this is what I tend to find as a pastor and having done numerous. Matter of fact, Gretchen was looking through our wedding book and she said, who's so-and-so and such-and-such? I said, they are so-and-so and such-and-such. And I know them so and I know them as such. I didn't know who they were. I could not remember. There's a few weddings that I've done uh, just on the move here and there to help somebody to be in somebody's life or somebody came in our life for a short period of time. And I've done so many of them. But one thing I've found very common in each and every wedding, there's a tendency, if not full-blown operation, is that they work diligently to prepare for a wedding and fail miserably to prepare for a marriage. It seems like we're working diligently to go to heaven, but we fail miserably at being married to Jesus. If going to heaven is not about being with Jesus, there's something that has taken a greater priority or a greater interest than your first love. Heaven is about Jesus. Getting to heaven is preparing to be with Jesus. At a wedding, to the best of my experience, I know people have had combined weddings. Why do I even have to interject that? It's because some people will look for anything to prove anything and something that a preacher is not saying can be proved differently. That's not a good place to be at church. That is not a good place to be in your marriage. That is not a good place to be in relationships. Always looking to question to find fault in somebody else is not a healthy place for you, nor a safe place for them. So here's what I'm saying. Predominantly, at a wedding, only two people get married. Two people get married. But it's hard to count the countless people who help prepare for that wedding. It's hard to realize not just the people cooking, uh, but the people decorating or the people supporting or the people hairdressing, it's hard to remember everybody. There are so many people that it takes, but the Bible says it is the bride's responsibility to prepare herself for the marriage. Yet, although it be her responsibility, it does not mean she has to do it all herself. The more friendly you are, the more friends you'll have. The more friends you have, the more friendly your life will be. That's scripture, by the way. If you're wondering why somebody's not your friend, have you wondered how you can be their friend? Are you wondering why some people are not friendly to you? Are there a group of people somewhere you're not friendly to? Listen to me. If we would just take the word of God, it would heal and can restore everything that's going on in the world. Everything. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to teach us his way, to direct us in his path, to empower us and anoint us and enable us to love like we're supposed to love, to support, to encourage. Matter of fact, at this wedding, 
a lot of people came up to a place they weren't able to serve for certain situations, and other people just filled in, just filled in, didn't resist, didn't push off, joyfully filled in. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be a servant of all. So only two people are getting married, but it's the bride's responsibility. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 says, let us be glad and rejoice. It's a little nerve-wracking to get all the way to Revelation chapter 11, or 19 at the very beginning of a sermon, right? Because you're like, oh, that stuff, push that stuff off as far as we can. I, but we're there. Listen to this. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife... One translation said, his bride has made herself ready. You and I have a responsibility to be ready to meet Jesus. Not just ready to go to heaven. That's like bags packed, I want to get out of here. No, we want to prepare ourselves for an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. If your relationship down here is wounded, if your relationship down here is troubled, if our relationship down here is inconsistent, if our relationship with Christ down here is not, you get my picture, is it ready for an eternal one? Not just ready to get out, but the scripture tells us we who overcome, we who endure, we have some responsibility to put our faith into action to prepare ourselves for eternity with Jesus Christ. Now, I know you may be a little concerned, thinking and wondering, there's many minds in here, online with us here presently, thinking, oh my goodness, is he talking about the end times? Tomorrow could be the end of anybody's time. We prepare for that moment. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, that he might present her to himself, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Here in this passage of scripture, we won't have time to go there. You could read it anytime you'd like. Ephesians chapter 5 is, is Paul is making a reference to, to the marriage. I told John, I told Mr. Baker uh, that he's planting a church last Friday when he got married. Your home is a church. Marriage and the church are, are, are comparison to one another. They have a, a likeness to one another. They represent and symbolically uh, realize that marriage and uh, our relationship with Jesus is like our relationship with our wife or with our husband. And he said that he wants to pre present her to himself, a glorious church. Listen to me. I believe that you and I can have glorious marriages if he wants to have a glorious church. And how does he say it happens? By committing to the word of God, using the word of God to be the manual for your life. I would encourage you. You know, Madison made a mention. She said, hey, she said, these will not collect dust. We don't want to be those that have dusty Bibles. Dusty Bibles have rusty lives. Amen. So when something's rusty and it's corroding, the word of God will keep you alive. It'll keep you clean. It won't let the contaminants of this world get in there and eat away at your personal relationship with Jesus, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, your relationship with even church members and others. The Word of God can be helpful. Be holy without blemish. The best way to be holy is to give yourself holy to the Word of God. 
The best way to be holy is to give yourself wholly to the presence of God. What I'm saying is when you're in worship, give your all. What I'm saying when you're in the word of God, receive it all. What I'm saying that when you're in whatever, as you give yourself, so shall you become as he's made you. Revelation 21, verse 1 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Isn't this the day we're looking for? The day we're longing for that this world passes away and there's a, there's a new heaven, there's a new Jerusalem, there's this new life, and it's that side of eternity. Is anybody in here looking for that? Anybody in here waiting for that, longing for that? I think I'm in the wrong church. But they did tell me one time, they, the Holy Spirit and Jesus, that when preaching is easy, it's not necessary, but when preaching is difficult, that's when it's most necessary. I think I'm supposed to be in a church that's expecting the return of Jesus Christ. That's something we should be excited about. That's something we should be uh, uh, looking forward to, amen? Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Listen. Listen. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Well, this is the the past tense. This is the new. That's what the new is going to look like. The new is going to consist of a bride who is prepared. It is my desire to be a wedding attendant this morning. I get to officiate many weddings And I got to participate and officiate this one. I had one of the highest honors of my life to escort Georgia down this aisle. A spiritual daughter in the faith to walk her down. was such an honor, such a joy. But then I was a pastor and I officiated and and the attendants and all the different people. I want to be one of those today. You can't count them. It's not that they should be seen or noticed. They're preparing the bride who's going to be seen and noticed. Matter of fact, if you or I serve at one of those, expected a pat on the back, we're not doing it in the right heart. It's to prepare the bride. My desire this morning is to help be an attendant, to help prepare you and us as a bride for Jesus Christ. I want to come alongside and to do something to be something, to offer something that will help you and me to realize we have responsibility to prepare because the new heaven will consist of people who are prepared as brides for their husband. I think he deserves that. I don't think he needs a blemish, unkept, unshaved. I saw a young man the other day, and I think he had a twin, and I saw this man, and I saw one side of his face, and, and it was smooth shaven, and I saw the other side, and, and it looked like he was one of our guides on the rivers, just one of these big bushy beards over here. He literally had shaved his face one half and one half not. I don't think honey would like that coming down the aisle. I don't think anybody wants a half-baked cookie. Are you with me? Or a half-baked potato. Or a half-shaved husband coming down the aisle. I don't think that God deserves half of this and some of that. I think he deserves, and I think he already said what he's coming back for, so we know what he desires is a prepared bride. 
In Revelation 21, verse 3, he said, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I hear this part quite often. Matter of fact, the funeral, I heard it. There'll be no more crying there. There'll be no more dying. It's almost like it's a spiritual resort that we get to go to heaven for our own pleasures. Oh, he's going to do such things. But he says, the tabernacle of God dwells with man. I ask you, is the tabernacle of God living in you? I ask you, are you mindful of that now, or are you just waiting one day to fly away? Preparation requires operation, attendance, and then therefore maintenance. Many of us have had infusion of Christ into our life. Many of us have been have had submersion of the Holy Spirit on our lives, but then we still have the responsibility to prepare, to be maintained the good works that he's done in our life. We have a part. You see, we take one scripture, and we seem to take that principle and apply it to everything. That salvation is a gift, cannot be earned. But there are aspects of our life that can be earned, there are provisions that can be gained in our life. Our faith is enough faith to get saved, but our faith can grow also. And if we have a faith that does not work, James says that faith isn't working. We have responsibility to keep our machinery, our vehicles safe, maintained, operable. Matter of fact, somebody was driving by my house, and their vehicle started to have problems. They were wise enough. They were discerning enough to not floor it and go for it and try to get to where they're going. They pulled over. They parked it. And sometimes we need to pull our life over and park it and not just keep pressing and pressing and pressing when there's check lights on. When there's indicators that says, you're going south, friend. Things are going downhill right now. You're losing your mind. You're not operating in faith. Sometimes we need to slow down. Take courage, my friends. He's in the waiting. We have responsibility to tend to that. He went on to say, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write for these words are true and faithful. I can picture that young man on the streets of New Orleans reading that Bible and somebody taught him in Teen Challenge to write notes. That's exactly what happened in the Bible. Let me tell you how important it is to take notes if you're not a note taker. The Bible is nothing but people who took note. Thank God for note takers. Amen. And God can speak to you just like he spoke to them as he speaks through them to speak to you. You ought to journal down also and write down, that's good. That's right. I believe that. That means this to me and that means that to me. Listen to me. I'm trying to help you to prepare yourself. He said to me, it is done. It is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Two little thoughts. Are you thirsty? Do we thirst as we sing a song we've sang here for years? All my fountains are in you. All of my fountains. Where is the source of life? Where do we receive from him? A man receives nothing unless that something comes from heaven. God has a desire to source you, to provide for you, to nourish you, to refresh you, to inform you, to instruct you, to correct you, to teach you. He is there for you. God is not against you. He just wants to know, are you thirsty? And then he said that he who overcomes inherits all things. So that gives you an idea of what you might need to overcome. That which is taking something from you, that which is destroying, that which is ruining, that which is robbing, that which is, which is stealing, that which is damaging you. Those are the areas, if you see something in your life, that this is taking life from me, this is abusing my life, that's the area, if it's drugs, if it's alcohol, if it's addiction to this or to that or whatever it may be, that's what you and I have a responsibility to overcome. He delivered me from drugs and alcohol, delivered me from drugs and alcohol. Friends, I was so ate up at 24 years old, I kept a bottle of wild turkey underneath my front seat and would start sometimes at 9 o'clock in the morning. That's if I quit the night before. I could go on and tell you all the gruesome, but he delivered me. But listen to me. Now it's my responsibility to not go back again. Now, it's my responsibility to not desire, crave, or put myself in a place that longs for alcohol or longs for drugs. It's my responsibility, not Jesus's, to keep me in the bed with my wife and not in bed with somebody else's wife or let alone on the computer with them. That's my responsibility. How does that come? Through wisdom, through the teachings of Jesus through submission to his authority, to responsibility to his word. That's my responsibility. He's given me the ability to respond. Therefore, I have responsibility in my life. He said, I make all things new. I'll restore all things. I'll quench your thirst. He overcomes will inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So this is all about relationship. It's all about being one with the Father. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Can I tell you how I know that God wants to say this this morning? Because all I wanted to say was Revelation 21.2 to make a point, a reference point, to get you to the exciting side and the encouraging side there. But his word is his word. And he kept saying, you've got to say this. Don't leave it out. And I'm not normally one, listen, I'm not normally one that would leave something out. I wonder how much has been left out through the ages, through the years. I'm concerned for many of preachers 
who have not preached the full gospel, the fullness of truth, or have not preached the truth in love. I love you. I love this church. This could help you. I would encourage you to make an appointment with your spiritual doctor, the great physician. If you don't know his phone number, I have it, Jeremiah 33.3. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Make an appointment. I said, do you know, Doc, cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, and if any of those, he touches one, and it goes like that, deal with it. Listen to him. Ask him to prescribe a scripture or two, a prophecy or three. Ask him to speak to you. Ask him to, to become your spiritual treadmill. Can I walk with you even though we're not going anywhere yet? And just spend time with you? Could you get my heart regulated again? Could you get my mind clear again? Could you, f I won't go any further, flatten my stomach. <laughs> so that's the introduction to what he is saying. In Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven, Jesus has just spent a time discoursing with the people in Matthew 24 about the end times. Matter of fact, he described everything that you and I are living in right now. That's point blank. We've been going over that for the last 16 or 17 months now, realizing what is happening and how things are taking place. I mean, the grief of the terrible uh, 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 earthquake just recently, the 7.2 in Haiti, the pestilence ongoing, the famines, all the things, and then lawlessness, and where we are just seeing all this unpack and unfold before our very eyes. He goes on and he gives them a, a description of what heaven or the kingdom of heaven would look like. You see, friends, we live, we, we live in the midst of cultures, and within cultures, there's cultures. You go to New York City, and there's Chinatown, and there's all these different little communities there that the Russian people live here where they came over, and they, they build up there. If you've ever been there, you can walk across the street, and everything changes. The food changes. The decoration changes. The accent changes. Everything. Cultures within cultures. But the reality is there's only three cultures that we must be concerned with and aware of. The first culture is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And then there's the kingdom of the world, which is carnality, which is enmity with God, which is what God wanted to redeem, rescue, deliver, and involve us into his kingdom. He wants to take us out of that darkness. We sang earlier, the darkness will bow to him. He wants us to take us out of that and deliver us and put us into his marvelous light. But then there's this third culture that came on the scene some years ago, crept in, certain people got involved, and it's called the church. And the church thought maybe it was like an Olympic event. And so they thought they'd be a little bit into the kingdom of God and a little bit into the world, and they linked their hoops with each other. Friends, we're not meant to be, we're not meant to be of this world, but yet while we're in this world, we need to be in the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
The tabernacle of God is with man. Now, that may not make a whole lot of sense to you, might not seem to be empowering to you, but Moses built the tabernacle off of the pattern of a vision he saw in heaven. So you and I have the rights to, you and I have access to the same kind of relationship Moses had with God. That changes perspective. He heard from God. It was the first thing God started to convey with him about deliverance and setting people free and, and coming out of, uh, 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 of captivity and moving in. And then he instructed. He instructed and ordered a way to live. He gave him the Ten Commandments. But it was while the Ten Commandments were being delivered, it took a little while. Remember, he's in the waiting and Aaron was there down left to watch over the people, and the people were a little frustrated and anxious because it was delayed. It was taking a while. And so they went to Aaron and said, we know what we should do. He said, we're going to make you our leader now. We're going to switch churches. We're going to switch ministries and philosophies and views. We're going to switch doctrines now because it's not happening as fast as we want it to happen. And this is what we're going to do. All the gold that we have, we're going to ask you to make a calf out of it, and that's going to become our God, and then we'll start worshiping it that it brought us out. Friends, your prosperity did not bring you out of nothing. He brought you out of nothing and gave you something. And they started worshiping there. Moses is coming down the mountain, and he's overwhelmed, and he breaks the Ten Commandments, has to go back up and get it all over again. 40 days. Remember the children of Israel walking around? He had to go back 40 days and spend time with God to get it worked out. Friends, there's instructions called the Bible how we should live our life. And we should be as concerned as Moses was and God was when they were broken. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he, he made his commandments come down a lot simpler is to love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors you love yourself. That's why there was something different at this wedding, is that there is such a love. And that's what's going to be different about our eternity, is that it's going to be saturated with love. The kingdom of heaven is likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Virgins. Let's just describe a virgin for just a second, re referencing heaven here. It's somebody who is set apart and waiting and chaste. That's simple. You and I should not be fooling around with the gods of this world, with the idols of this world. You and I should be chaste, stricken, straight and narrow path, waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, not giving our allegiance, not giving our devotion, not giving our love, not giving our worship to anything or anyone other than him. So they're waiting very appropriately. He's in the waiting. Take courage. Take courage. 1 Corinthians 1.30, I don't have a reference for you, but of him who are in Christ Jesus, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So if you've been saved by Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, our lives should reflect such righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That, that process, that path, that pattern of eternity with Jesus. But Jesus is what makes you wise. 
Jesus, and only Jesus, is what can make you wise. I've seen and have met people who cannot read or illiterate, but yet they are wiser than others because of Christ within them. Amen? That's hard for some to swallow, but it's true. Psalm 14, 1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, I understand. You say, that's not me. That is not me. Uh, it's not just a one-time statement. It's actually an attitude of the heart. When your heart does things as if you don't think God knows it. Because the church doesn't know it, and nobody else knows it, your best friend doesn't know it, your spouse doesn't know it, and you do something, you're acting as if there is no God. You're acting as if God is, is, is debased to human plane level instead of heavenly perspective. That means you don't have to say it. Some things are said without words. You... And I realize that we should not just have words, but we should have actions according to our truth and our belief. Amen? And if we act like there is no God, simply put, we're being foolish. So you may not say that there is no God, but you may act like there is no God. That means you're acting foolish. There were 10 who were waiting, all waiting for the same thing. There were five who were wise. They were living in their righteousness and their sanctification, keeping themselves sanctified and, and waiting for the redemption. And there were five who were foolish. Why were they foolish? Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil. Cute little lamp, isn't it? I know. I know. Some of you are saying, that would look good in my living room. That's the problem. It looks good from the outside, but the inside's empty. Nothing comes out of it. Totally empty. Useless but decor. That's the foolish one. Because in their heart, they say there is no God. God is spirit. God lives in you spiritually, not religiously. And God being spirit in the Bible, throughout the Bible, oil is a representation of two things. Ultimately, primarily, always the spirit of God. Not only spirit, but provision. You see, the spirit of God gives us abundant life. We come behind lacking in no spiritual gift. You don't have to go clawing and running and trying to find somebody who has the gift. That gift is within you. If the spirit of the living God is inside of you, the gift of healing is inside of you. You may not, it may not be your primary gift, but it is inside of you because the spirit of God is inside of you. Those who are foolish took their lamps, no oil with them. The emphasis here is on two groups of people, one that has and one who doesn't have. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So the wise had oil in theirs. It was full. It was prepared. It was ready. They took oil in their vessels, in their lamps, knowing this, that you and I are vessels. We're earthen vessels. The tabernacle of God is within man. 
Not only is the Spirit of God is inside of you, but God himself is inside of you. Not only is God in the Spirit, but Jesus is inside of you. So it makes you a son or a daughter of God, having him dwelling inside of you. I think we need to realize greater is he who is in you than he or that or anything that's in this world. God is yet greater. I want to encourage you with that. I want to encourage you to realize what you can have, to realize what you do have, and to know that. But the wives took their oils and vessels with their lamps, but while the bridegroom was delayed, sound familiar? But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Well, he's been preaching, he's coming back, but he's not here yet, and I just, I'm getting tired of tending to this and doing that and just getting tired. And, and, and this isn't really a negative sleeping and slumbering. It really isn't. And that's not the point of this message. They all were sleeping. They all were sleeping. I will say this, get your own alarm clock. Get your own alarm clock. Don't wait, because mama ain't going to come wake you up once you get married. Are you with me? You have to learn how to wake yourself up at times. Those who were foolish took their lamps with no oil in them, and they slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. At midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. It did not say that they heard heaven weeping. They heard a cry. It was a declare. It said, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. It didn't say, behold, the bridegroom's coming pretty soon. Check your oil. I'm sure you've had those cautions. Holy Spirit is pretty good at that. And at midnight, that cry was heard. So now we find now that there are 10 virgins, five who are wise and five who are foolish. This is a parable. This is a likeness, symbolic here. And he's saying that, but they all could hear him. I would venture to say that every one of us in this room has somewhat an ear towards the Lord. But I don't know that I could say that all of us, or us as an all, are as prepared as we need to get, or as we can be, or as we should be. At midnight, the cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. It didn't say, just sit there, he's coming to you. It said, he's coming, start moving that direction. Start to press in, go to meet him. It almost sounds like the father and the prodigal son. The prodigal son is coming, the father's been waiting on this side, and the father goes, and they meet each other at that place. Scripture says, we're going to meet up with him. If you're going to wait for him to come to the earth, it's going to be too late. The Scripture says, we're going to meet up with him in the air in the air. So you better be resurrection ready. You better be like the guide on my boat. When he was coming around and says, oh, by the way, get ready. They're going to take your picture around the corner. He knew where he was. He knew what was happening. And he also knew there's a little thing coming there. And when he did that, he jumped up in the air. He balled himself up. He's like seven feet in the air and lands on me. I didn't know he was up there. So midnight, what does midnight mean? Is it Monday? Is it Tuesday? Is it Friday? Is it Saturday? Which one is it? Well, we don't know the day. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. 
It didn't say 12 a.m. It didn't say 12 p.m. We, we don't know the hour in which he's coming, nor the time. But I will say this about midnight. It'll be the end of one day and the beginning of another. All in one moment of a time. All in one moment of time. Everything old has passed away. And everything, there's no, there, listen, listen, you've got to get this. There's no in-between on midnight. It's the same. But the old will pass and the new will come. What's my point? You can't wait till midnight. You can't wait till midnight. Because it's a twinkling of an eye. It's the snap of a finger. It's the turning on of a light. It, it just happens. It just happens. But it will be the end of that day and the beginning of that day. The old will pass and the new will come. Then all those virgins around him trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. So they may not have had any oil with them. They had nothing in reserves. They had nothing in stores. They didn't have any ammunition. They didn't have anything in the cartridge. They had nothing to get them somewhere. They had enough to get them to where they were. And this is my biggest concern. You can agree with me or not disagree. It's not a theological position whatsoever. It's a calling. It's a mandate on my life. Is that a lot of people have had enough Christianity and have an inoculation or immunization or vaccination of Jesus that they get enough that they can't tell the real. And they're satisfied with a little dabble, do you? But they're not going to have enough to get through. They've accepted a, a earthly Christianity without a kingdom vision and concept and reality of eternity. That's my burning passion. Now, perhaps you could understand me a little bit better now. Pastor Greg is not browbeating. Matter of fact, I wouldn't browbeat. I'd just get some razors and shave your eyebrows if that was the kingdom purpose. I'm not here to do that. There's times I've told you over and over again, this is not the message I want to say to you. You say, well, what is that message? Ask me out to dinner and I'll tell you. But we can't spend the time here dealing with that. Yes, I love you. I love this church. I love his vision for this church. I love what I see come out of this church and come into this church. But we have got to be ready. Then all those virgins around trimmed their lamps. They said, give us some of your oil. All that were trimmed, give us some. You know what that tells me? Is it giving as part of your spiritual provision? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if I were to come down and, and I say, Pastor Cody, man, I'm really struggling. I'm going through this or that. And he's like, do you mind if I pray with you? Well, yeah, sure. And all of a sudden he starts praying and these words start coming out. And they're encouraging me. They're exhorting me. They're confirming. I didn't even tell him what my problem was, but he's praying all around my problem. You see, I'm getting spiritually revived. I'm getting resuscitated. I'm getting encouraged. I'm getting built up. I'm getting comfort. I mean, the Holy Spirit is doing a work in my life, and that happens here all the time. All the time. So they said, give us some. So we notice there's a good possibility that those who are being asked to be given most likely were known 
for being givers. You usually don't have a tendency to ask somebody something that you know. They're all 10 right there together, unless you know they're that type of person. So you need to give me some. Here's the promise, that if you do give, you will have. So I want to say to the church, we need to be giving spirit. We need to be giving the oil of gladness. We need to be giving out of our resources. We need to be giving that river of living water. We need to be giving those spiritual gifts. What good is a gift if it ceases to be a gift? Anything he's given you, you and I ought to be giving it away and not holding on to it. That's the spirit of poverty. You can be a multi-zillionaire, millionaire, billionaire, quadrillionaire, and still have a spirit of poverty. It's called hoarding. You're afraid to let go of it. It's your security. It's your dependency. But anybody in here could tell you who's ever been a giver, I can't outgive God. But we don't just need to not be worried about not outgiving God, but giving God out ministering God to others. Are you with me this morning? The, the fools, the fools obviously did not have enough. It's obvious they at one time had had some. How can I say that? They trimmed their lamps. They might have used it in their late night carucasing. They might have used it, you know, staying up to watch this or staying out to do that or, or to go over here and to adventure this and adventure that, and they'd used everything they had. Most likely for their own comforts and privileges. They weren't obviously givers or they would have had some. These are just spiritual truths from a parable. But the wise answered them, saying, no lest there should not be enough for us. Now, these are the very words of Jesus. Is enough enough? It should be, but only if we go, enough is enough. If we learn how to shut off the things of the world and turn on the things of the kingdom, the kingdom will be enough. Listen to me. You don't have to have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. You don't have to. This world is not my home. I'm just a pastor through. The cross, the world behind me, the cross before me, I don't need this world. I need the kingdom. You know what he needs is kingdom people to love the world. If he's using people that love the world for their own literally pleasures, but don't love the world like he loves the world, it's not doing any good. They said, give us some. They said, no, no, we, we can't unless, unless we would not have enough for us and you. I've got news for you. The scripture says the righteous are scarcely saved. So therefore, in essence, my righteousness is not enough to save Cody. My righteousness is not enough to save the Cunningham family. My righteousness is not enough to save my wife and save my children. I can help them prepare. And I can help you prepare. You can't be somebody else's salvation, nor can I be somebody else's salvation. Let me wrap this up. It can be given, it can be, but he goes, they said, go, go rather into those who sell and buy for yourselves. Now remember, what's the revelation we can get out of this? You cannot buy and earn your salvation, none. But you can pray and get filled up. You can worship and experience. You can read and hear. You can spend time in his presence. Listen to me, friends. You can become more spiritual. 
You and I can become more spiritual. If in this day and this hour, you're not around people encouraging to get more spiritual, they're taking from you what you need instead of helping you get what you can be. Are you with me? Your faith can grow. You can mature. Jesus grew in spirit and in stature. You can grow in spiritual things. That's what he's saying. No, you need to go out. You need to go out and get it. There's a cost to being a Christian. Jesus said, if you even desire to come out to me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. He said, all those who desire to be godly shall suffer persecution. Don't think it's strange for the trials and the tribulations. It's part of it. He's in the waiting. We're waiting for his return. We're serving him until he returns. Verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Does that sound familiar? In Noah's day, drinking and eating and partying and marrying and doing all that. Kind of, listen, you have and possibly have that mindset that the end time, it's just everything's going to be just shut down and broken down. There's not going to be life, and so you need to hunker down. No, 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 no. They will be eating and drinking and marrying. There will be commerce until the day he comes back. As long as there's seed time and harvest, there will be produce, uh, production taking place. Don't start to cower down. Remember what he said about the cowardly. Hunkering down is cowarding down. It is no time for the church to become a coward. It's time to be as bold as a lion. And while they went to buy, the door was shut. And notice here, the groom came for those who are ready. Jesus is coming for a bride who is ready. And let me just share this with you. Whatever you see in the world is because of a condition, lack thereof, or, or abundance of in the church. Yeah. Have you ever seen this little, I don't know that I've ever seen an episode of, but I've heard enough about it, and I've seen things about it, bridezillas? Oh, yeah, I know you're going to get real spiritual. Like, I'm not going to let them know I've seen that before. I don't know what you're talking about. It just made me, come on. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the church has been the biggest bridezilla there's ever been. It's all about me, as you should do things my way. I'm not working in the nursery. Somebody ought to be there to change my children's diapers. I just came to see what kind of children's ministry you had. I just came to check you out. If you're so good at checking out, you ought to go plant a church. Because if you know enough to determine what the church has or doesn't have, then go out and do good with it. I'm not saying that disrespectful. Reality. Do I look good? What about the songs I sing and the sermons I preach and the Facebook accounts I have and the Twittergrams and all the different things that I have? God help us. God help us. I'll give you a closing illustration I shared with Levi and David last night. I want you to know the house is clean. We were only there for one night and we slept there. 
but the beds are made. I said, boys, we left out this morning. And we'd been here, we'd been there, we'd been here, we went over there, we drove up there, we went down there, we came over there, we came back from over here. I said, my truck holds up to 648 miles worth of fuel. And I said, we got into Huntsville last night, we had to run to do an air number, coming back, and the, and the ding came on, 50 miles left. Well, the bad thing about knowing too much is that you know there's really a little bit more than that. Huh. And I said, so I had to run another errand and, and get something, and I, I went ahead and I filled it up. And I filled it up and I pumped it in there. I put $80 worth of fuel in there, and the thing shut off. Limited me. Thank God we have a God who doesn't limit us. Amen. And I said, but what if I would not have filled it up? Would we make it to where we're going today? Six and a half hours away from here. They had enough sense at 15 and 13 to go and look at each other. Like, who's going to answer first? It's really tough in a family with 12 children when it's only two children there. They don't have that. Well, like so-and-so was saying. Like, like, no, they had to answer. They looked at him and said, Don't think so. I don't think so, Dad. I said, no, you know we wouldn't have. Why not? It was my responsibility to fill it up, to get that vessel where it needed to go. And they were wise enough at 13 and 15 to go, that's a good illustration, Dad. Good illustration. I said, but it's better than that. I said, listen, I put $80 in there. Say I made $20 an hour. That'd be four hours worth of work to get a full tank. Four-minute prayer time ain't going to get you there. It's not going to be enough to have a one-minute devotional Bible. It's not going to work. I have a responsibility. I have to stand where you don't have to stand when it comes to our relationship. I'm responsible to help you as a wedding attendant to get prepared. I had to work hours to be able to put miles in that truck. You and I need to invest, we need to deposit to get more of the Spirit of God in our life. It's kind of like this. You come into church, sure would like to have a 15-minute worship service. Maybe I'll sing one more song, I guess. You don't have to guess around here. We're going to. There's no guessing about it. Come on. It's set in an atmosphere. It's the gas pump. It's the oil change place. It's where you get filled up. It's just one of those outposts. It's just one of those merchants where you can go and get your oil. You can go and get your spirit. And listen, it's not supposed to be the main one. It should be where we all come together saying, look at me, I'm full. I'm ready. Let's go use this stuff. So I entitled the message, Fill Her Up. I thought that was cute. Some of y'all have no idea that terminology. Some of us do. We're old enough. Fill her up. 
What does filler up mean? <laughs> well, it depends on where you are. Gas station attendants. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all you remember your gas station attendant? By name. Don't know them as well. We know some of them. But you remember them? I'm looking at some ladies going, I wish he was back. I wish they were there. And then they're looking at their nails. How many chipped fingernails from filling up a gas tank? Right? Well, we're the bride. We need people to help us. Aren't you happy they washed your windshield? They checked the air in your towers? That's what a preacher's here for. That's what your brothers and sisters are here for. That's what you're here for with one another, checking each other out. I look at some of you. You're not as happy as you were three months ago. You're not as joyful as you were. You're not as passionate as you were. Friends, we start to see that, and we bring the gauge over there, and we get the, I'm fine. Out of my way. We're just trying to help you. That when he comes, you got enough. You don't want him coming back, and you being bitter, and you being jealous, and you being angry, and having unforgiveness. You don't want that. You don't want him coming back, and you're sputtering. He said, when I return, you'll be like I am. We don't have a sputtering Jesus. Afterward, the other virgins came also. Could you possibly insert the word, the other Christians of that day? He said, the others came also and said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Friends, he's not coming to see what kind of lamp you are. All he knows is what he knows is who he is in you. He's coming for the oil inside of you. He's not coming to see that. Oh, wow, that one dangles and that one. I like that color would fit up. I like the size and the shape of that. Predominantly, that's the way people choose their churches. Why, why don't you like that church? Well, it's, 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 it's one hour. That's the vessel. How much spirit is in there? Oh, we, we do that. On, on, we, we, we don't talk about him. We, we don't have altar calls. This is what the church has gone through in the last 20 years. We don't have live preachers. The shepherd's not there with us. Afterward, the virgin says, Lord, Lord, open. Obviously, they'd been confessing him as Lord. They were waiting for him, but they weren't ready. I, I, I don't know how else to say this other than to bring it from the Bible. This is not a pet peeve. This is not a, a stick that I'm trying to beat somebody with. This is conviction. This is the fear of God for my own life for the life of this church. We have to be ready. We have to be ready. As you stand to your feet, I shared with you what Matthew said that Jesus said, that the Holy Spirit had inspired. I shared with you, my account may not be good enough for you. I get that. I understand that. But Luke heard it also. 
And this is how Luke heard it. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Jesus said, let your light so shine. Friends, with no oil, the light will not shine. He said, let your lamps be burning. Do you remember about a year ago, God invited us into the fellowship of the burning hearts? Does your heart burn for Jesus today? Is there just this passion inside of you, this flame inside of you? As there's fire in his eyes, is there fire in your eyes? Is there fire on your head? Is there something burning inside of you to want to be pure, to want to be holy, to want to be useful by God? He said, and yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding. That when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Notice this. When he comes and knocks, not when they decide it's good enough to come and knock, but when he knocks, they may open to him immediately. Let me ask you this question, church. Please hear me. Do you have immediate response to God or do you have to sit there and weigh it out and balance it out and get all all the different uh, 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 just ways of confirmation and get all the different ways to weigh it out to whether it's God or not? Or do you have an immediate, when he asks, when he speaks, do you act on it? Is there a hesitation? Is there a resistance? Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. Listen to me. In every aspect of the kingdom of God, the kingdom principles work. If you serve God here, you serve God here, and you serve God here, that's the manner in which he's going to serve you. He said he will come. He will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch, if it should be delayed and find them so blessed are those servants. It may not come in this next five years. It may not come in the next five years. I cannot tell you that day. I cannot tell you that hour. I can just tell you about that day. It's going to be a midnight and there won't be another chance. There won't be another opportunity for you to be ready for Jesus to come. Not just to get you out of this world. He's already come to get you out of this world. He's come to take you into his kingdom and take you into eternity. And he can only take that which without spot and without blemish and without wrinkle. He's coming for his bride who has adorned herself. If he should come in the second or the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. I'm doing my best right now. My God, I'm doing my best. If the enemy could not break into your house, He cannot deceive you. He cannot trick you. He cannot misalign you. He cannot overthrow your faith. He says, therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 